Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Rishikesh Hirwe for The Red Lantern, a narrative dog sledding survival game that came out in 2021. The soundtrack is getting a vinyl release from I Am 8-Bit later this summer, so that's why Rishikesh and I uh, spoke about it just recently. And the coolest part about that is that five lucky patrons of Level will get a copy of that vinyl album of The Red Lantern. Anyone who is a patron at any level by midnight Central Daylight Time on April 17th of 2023, you will be eligible to win a copy of that new vinyl album. Learn more about it at patreon.com slash level. I really just want to get to this interview and the awesome music that's uh, in the Red Lantern. The soundtrack is, it's peaceful and hopeful and warm. There's a lot of calm, simple piano, strummed guitars, chill beats. And Rishi has a term for it. He calls it secular Christmas music, which I, I love that description because it really is that. It's melancholic like some holiday music can be, but it's also warm and happy without the sleigh bells. So it's a really apt description of uh, the music for this album. And actually for a lot of his music in general, he's involved in many different projects. He uh, recorded and released music for many years under the name uh, The 1AM Radio. And so we talked briefly about that. Uh, He's done many podcasts, one of which is also a Netflix show called Song Exploder. So he's been podcasting for many years now. He also did a podcast about the TV show The West Wing, which I am a huge fan of. And he also did a podcast about home cooking with Samin Nasrat, who did the uh, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat book and Netflix show. Love all of those things. So he's a busy fella. And it was just fun to talk to him about all of his projects and his music, and especially in The Red Lantern. All right, join us on Discord. You can find that link down in the show notes. Uh, This will also be on YouTube, so you can check us out there, although we don't put music in that. So uh, we do here in this episode, though, so that's nice. Patreon, if you can uh, join us there, patreon.com slash level, become a patron. We'd be very grateful. And of course, then you'll be entered in this giveaway if you do so by the right time and date. All right, here is Rishikesh Hirway talking about his music for The Red Lantern. The Red Lantern is a video game where you play the musher, which is, you know, a woman who has a bit of an identity crisis and leaves her city life behind and decides to try racing the Iditarod. Only she is woefully unprepared, as she discovers, and most of the game is spent trying to just survive. The name comes from the prize that they give uh, in the Iditarod to the person who finishes last. The, the Red Lantern is a prize for the person who finishes last, and it signifies their perseverance and determination. Wow, that's beautiful. Um, I I didn't know that piece of the history, so I appreciate that insight. Uh, can you tell us how you got connected with the project? Yeah. Um, so the creators of the, the game, uh, Timberline Studio, reached out to me. Um, it was really a lovely surprise. I'd never scored a video game before. Um, most of my music life has been uh, making music um, as a singer and songwriter. I've done some scoring. I've done um, some films and a TV show and some, some work in podcasts. But 
uh, it kind of came out of the blue. I had met Lindsay, the the sort of main story architect of the game, um, through some mutual friends one time, and uh, that was years before they they contacted me. And I think they were fans of my podcast, Song Exploder, which is a show about music. Mm-hmm. And one day when they were working on the game, they were thinking about who might make the music for the game. This is the story that I've been told. And... Um, and they knew that I was a musician, and they said, let's go listen to what his actual music sounds like, his own music. Mm-hmm. And they went and they, they put on uh, some of my songs, and they were listening to it, and they're like, this actually feels really right for, for the mood that we're trying to evoke from the game. And so they, Lindsay sent me a message and said, would you like to write? We think it would be a great fit. Would you be up for it? And uh, and it's always been a dream of mine to do something in video games. So I said yes immediately. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm so glad you did because, you know, of course I had like the flip experience, right? Like I listened to the Red Lantern and then I'm like, well, let me learn more about Rishikesh. I want to know more about your music and your background and all these things. And so I started listening to the 1am radio. like oh well this makes perfect sense this sounds like you which I really liked you know um but I also was you know I think we're about the same age and so I was very curious you know about who you listened to when you were growing up and kind of your musical influences and I think there'll be time for us to get into that later but just I'm saying that because it's like I I connected with I, I don't know. It just it it all felt right. I, I think to me, for 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 better or worse. I don't I don't really know. <laughs> hmm. Well, I'll tell you one thing. You know, one reason why I was so excited to get this gig was because they described what the game was and the setting of it. You know, that it's in Alaska and mm-hmm. in, in the Alaskan wilderness, and you're you're um, with these dogs traveling across the snow, and it felt right to me because one of the sort of unspoken, I guess I'm saying it now, I'm speaking it now, but one of the things that I've always tried to get out of the music that I made, my own music, was um, I wanted it to feel like Christmas music without it being Christmas music. I wanted to get the feeling of the sort of the most melancholy uh, Christmas songs. You you know, I I love that feeling, those sadder, holiday winter songs um and and i wanted to do that in a secular way that was has kind of been a driving aesthetic for for my own music for a long time uh and this game kind of gave me a chance to do that instrumentally um for an entire soundtrack right and that and i was very curious about that because as i listened to you uh, to your solo music your songwriting which is really great i mean you're fantastic songwriter like all of your songs are just I mean, I could easily just listen to that on a trip up north to the North Shore. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, it's Thank really, you. they're really well-crafted songs. And, um, you, but your lyrics are um, inviting and, you know, I like want to hear what you're saying, which isn't always the case with all lyrical music, right? Like sometimes you just don't care <laughs> what someone <laughs> right. is saying, but. Or sometimes it's better 
not to pay so much attention to it. Exactly, exactly. But I, I really in, enjoyed your lyrics. And so I was very curious then to wonder what it was like for you to write just in Serrano, which you've done before, but mm -hmm. how does it feel for you when you have that opportunity? It feels great. I mean, even in the earliest records that I made under the name The 1AM Radio, I would have at least one or two instrumental tracks um, that I would put on there. I, I just, I love film scores. It's why I moved to Los Angeles um, mm. specifically was because I, I was interested in in writing film music. Um, and I was interested in writing film music because I just, I love listening to it in the context of films and also just uh, as soundtracks on their own. And um, and there's a lot of music that I listen to that is, uh, that's instrumental. One of my favorite bands, to answer the question question you posed a while ago, like one of the bands that I listen to a lot, you know, since since the 90s is uh, Rachel's. Um, and they are just one of my favorite, you know, uh, I guess they were called post-rock in the 90s. So there's really like, they're so post, there's no rock to them, you know? <laughs> yeah. um, there was a record that that they did called Music for Egon Sheila that was a soundtrack to a, to a ballet. And it was just, it's just piano, cello, and violin, I think. And um, it's very uh, spare and beautiful and haunting. starting to play shows and tour and put out records. Uh, that was definitely one of the records that I listened to a lot. And and so, you know, when I made a one my first one AM radio record, I made a song that I was kind of my version of that. You know, it's just guitar and violin. And mm -hmm. um, so making instrumental music has always felt like part of what I wanted to do in addition to writing songs with lyrics. Yeah. I mean, to me, there's so, so I was an instrumentalist, right? I, I was, I've never been really a singer. So to me, there, there's such different mm. things, even though it's the same in a way, but it, it just, it's amazing to me to, you know, kind of dig into what feels good for you in, in each, you know? Yeah. Mm. I mean, being able to Say how I feel with lyrics is an incredibly important part of songwriting for me. Um, but there are also some feelings and moods and yeah, ideas that I feel like are better expressed without words. Yeah. That... You're going to hear my dog in the background every oh. now and then. Uh, he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's been particularly feisty today. So um, if you hear a little barking here and there, that's Watson. It's totally fine, right, Watson. You, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you guys have had some weather, though, too, right? Watson is probably ready for things to calm down, maybe. Yes, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, in your TED Talk, and these are things I had no intention of digging into right away, but as you're answering, I'm like, oh, well, that makes me think of your TED Talk when you said <laughs> that when you were younger, you... Um, you were kind of snobbish about the music you listened to. And I'd like to hear you talk more about that and, and what made you kind of branch out and expand into other things. Where did you start? What were you snobbish about? Well, I was really, uh, I think, a typical 90s um, 
teenage music snob, you know, in that like I I felt like I really worked hard to carve out my taste and to find the bands that I loved, okay. and uh, you know, just like every cliche about. Um, you know, teen music snobs. I was just like, I thought their first album was better. You know, everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and and you worked so hard to find the bands that you loved and that felt like your own discoveries. Um, you had to go inside the store and dig through the records, find one that, you know, by a band you've never heard of and ask if you could listen to it or like put it on at the listening station or something. I mean, that was my favorite thing to do um, to, to discover music that way. And yeah. I spent so many hours doing that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I kind of thought of it as a defining part of my personality. You know, I spent so much time doing that, that I was someone who um, really believed in the pursuit of finding the music that was right for you and that, fe- that spoke to you, as opposed to uh, the kind of stuff that might just be handed to you because, um, you know, mainstream radio or MTV or something, you know, would play it and you're just like, okay, well, I like this. Um, it's what's in front of me and I like it. Of the, you know, 20 choices in front of me, I pick these five or 10 or all 20. Um, for me, I was like, no, I have to find everything on my own. It has to be curated by myself. And then, you know, I would spend, uh, I've probably spent a cumulative year, if not longer of my life, um, making, mixtapes for other people about you know let me introduce you to your next favorite band i'm gonna i understand you so well that i (laughs) can predict the music that you're gonna like that you don't even know you're gonna like it but but because of this and that you know yeah i loved that stuff Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. mixtapes man (laughs) and then cds i did the same thing with cds until it became clear yeah that that was no longer a thing (laughs) <laughs> then you learned that you weren't supposed to write with Sharpie on a CD and it just ruined everybody's mind. <laughs> uh, how did you get into music? I mean, obviously, it's a huge part of your life. You not only love making it, you love talking about it at, to the point where you do so on multiple platforms. So, <laughs> you know, talk, talk to me about that journey for you. Well, I started playing music when I was uh, around six or seven years old. Um, my parents suggested to me that maybe I might want to take piano lessons because we had a family friend and whenever we'd go to their house, I'd sort of tinker on the piano and okay. pick out melodies from whatever we heard in the car. And um, and my mom worked at Sears in the mall and there was a uh, there was a piano store next door to Sears nice. and they had a sign on there that said they offered piano lessons. And um, And so in the back of the shop, like behind the sort of showroom where they had the pianos and organs they had a little room and that's where i started taking piano lessons uh and then eventually i started playing in um the school band and i was a percussionist um and and then i got loop you know lumped in with the drummers and then i i got exposed to the drum kit and i started playing drums then i started playing drums in bands and then um i wanted to write songs and i started playing guitar i started learning how to play guitar Wow. And so then you literally had your one man band at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 And then when I was when I was first playing shows with the one AM radio, um, I would play guitar so I could, you know, perform okay. the songs, but I was still thinking about the drums. So I got a drum machine and I started to uh program drums and that, that was kind of my mm-hmm. first step into electronic production. And um mm-hmm. yeah, that's how I would perform is with myself, a guitar and a drum machine. 
Wow, that's incredible. Uh, that's, I mean, I, yeah, that's amazing. Um, you know, I was curious about the percussion thing because in the Red Lantern, I, I liked a lot of the percussive sounds that you created for for the texture. Um, and there's kind of this recurring, like, I, I mean, to me, it sounded like a bamboo uh, set of bamboo sticks or something, to, and and sometimes it's tied actually to the keyboard, but sometimes it's just in the background as its own percussion sound. So talk to me about some of those choices you made for for percussion in in the Red Lantern. Yeah, well, I wanted it to feel a little bit like the crunching of snow or the snapping of twigs. Okay. I, it was really important to me to try and make the sounds feel war- like organic and fuzzy um uh not to even though it was a cold landscape i didn't want it Mm -hmm. to feel cold or clinical um it was supposed to be a really human experience and um and so i tried to pick sounds that would feel like that um one of the main main melodic instruments that i used was uh an una corda the uh, the instrument that was developed by Nils Fromm um, into a into a virtual instrument um, where it's, you know, a piano where uh, two of the three strings on a piano have been removed. So it almost feels, it feels like a little bit like a cross between a harpsichord and a piano. So it has a really sharp kind of plucky feeling, or it feels a little, yeah, it feels a little bit like a harp crossed with a piano, and yeah. um, and so there's a lot of that like clicking uh, kind of feeling in every time the keys hit. Yeah, because I wondered too if it was prepared piano, but then I thought, well, no, that that wouldn't fit, right? But it's it, it's cool it how kind it's of is. T- yeah, it kind of yeah, is, it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I used this virtual instrument version of the una corda, but you know, there there are real ones that exist uh, in the world, but I did not have access to yeah. one. <laughs> That's legit. Um you know, and then of course all the guitar sounds too, lots of plucking and strumming with with guitars, which is really lovely. So, um talk to me about the different kind of strummed instruments you use. And electric guitar creeps into the texture at times too. Yeah. So, so talk to yeah. me about that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that they told me was that they liked the way that my music sounded. So I thought, okay, let me rely on the palette that I use normally, mm. um, which is uh, you know piano and uh, and especially this nylon string guitar, which I think you can see actually behind me. This this okay, one. Okay. Yep. Um, it's a it's a half size uh, classical guitar that I got about a decade ago, so that I could oh, wow. travel with it. Oh, perfect! And I yeah. don't end up didn't end up traveling with it that much, um, <laughs> but it has become my my favorite instrument to write with. It's just mm. really it's small and it's easy and mm-hmm. sort of just feels great in my hands. And so I end up writing a lot with it. And so I would sketch out ideas and then I would just start recording them. And then I thought, well, I'll just keep it in you know with this uh, mm-hmm. nylon string guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the the finger-picking that you hear. No, all of the finger-picking that you hear is on that nylon guitar. 
you find since you started on piano, but it sounds like guitar really is kind of your go-to, which do you write on most? Um, these days I write on, on piano most okay. because I think because it was my first instrument, I still think of music visually as the key- keyboard. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, when I'm trying to imagine like chords and har- harmonic structure and, and where a melody goes, I still see the keyboard and I see my fingers on the keyboard. So even yeah. if the song ultimately moves to guitar or moves to some electronic world where there's no real instrument, um, these days I, it, it still starts for me on the piano. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. And I loved too, in terms of the piano, all the octaves, like just, just so many octaves throughout Red Lantern. Yes. What, yeah. And I, and I loved that. Um, I'm such a sucker for piano anyway. So I'm always like, oh, piano. <laughs> but I, I mean, talk to me about, you know, the decision to, to have those. Is it just, was it happy accident or, or significance behind the octaves? Well, I, you know, I wanted the, the score to feel simple. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's supposed to be minimal. And, and, you know, I was thinking about the idea of like the wind blowing past your ears as you're, you know, bundled up and, and you're in an anorak and, you know, you, you can't really hear everything clearly, but there are sort of fundamental frequencies between, you know, what's in your body and what's outside. And the wind is sometimes blowing in octaves or, or at least in like intervals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that was important to me was feeling, uh, was that give, conveying this feeling of loneliness and isolation. So there's a lot of sort of single note melodies, sure. not like a ton of counterpoint um, and, uh, yeah, everything is just kind of simple and lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, but it changes the feeling when you have an octave. Suddenly it, it gives like either a gravity or a lightness to that single idea without introducing a new idea. Um, yeah. it just uh, it just expands that simple little melody. A lot of the time when I was writing on the piano, that's just what I would do. You know, I'd start doing, outlining chords and start writing a melody. And then my hands just would go to, you know, add the octave higher. Oh, how funny. Yeah. Uh, You mentioned earlier about, you know, it's a cold environment, but you wanted the music to sound warm. And it very much does. And um, even a track called A Warm Fire is... (laughs) very warm sounding and a lot of that is strings like you bring in all these lovely kind of strings to just give you that warm hug um yeah so tell me about you know bringing in in strings for for that sound yeah um there are these scenes so most of the game is played um on the snow you're either um navigating through the wilderness or you've stopped and you have to hunt or you have to forage. But there are also these scenes where you have to camp and you have to rest. You know, every part of survival is kind of built into the game. Um, and those in those moments, you also get to pet the dogs. <laughs> you know, there's a, a lot of interaction with the, with the dogs that are part of your team as mm-hmm. well. 
Um, and so it was important to be able to have those moments of coziness in this game. It wasn't supposed to just be this like brutal, brutal thing. It wasn't, um, you know, a, a sort of like survival game only. It was also um, yeah. about having this kind of, yeah, this coziness to it as well. So, um, yeah, and then for the for the strings, it's a mix of virtual instruments, and then my friend Daniel Hart, who is an incredible composer, incredibly talented guy, who did the music for uh, the film The Green Knight. He did the music for the podcast S Town. Um, oh, cool. He's just he's amazing, um, and he he's played on everything that I've released as either the One AM Radio or a soundtrack or a stuff that I've put out more recently under my own name. He's literally played strings on every single thing that I've put out in the last nice. 15 years. Wow. So, um, so he plays violin and viola on the, on the score. Are you a gamer too, or were you, or or do you? <laughs> I am. I I got a console system, you know, relatively late. Uh, maybe in I think it was my Christmas gift to myself in 2018. <laughs> um, nice. uh, I, I loved playing. Um, you know, this uh, puts my age in a very specific place. If I haven't already done that with talking about being a teenager in the 90s, but you know, I loved. Uh, I had a Sega Master System, <laughs> and, nice. um, and my best friend had a Sega Genesis, and uh, you know it felt like everybody else around us had um, Nintendos. Mm-hmm. So I played a lot of a lot of uh, 16-bit video games, you know, nice. um, as a kid, and then uh, you know I was kind of aware, certainly, of all of the amazing stuff that was happening in console gaming, um, but. It took a little while before I was like, "This is I'm going to do this. I'm going to make the investment and <laughs> and finally get into it." Um, a friend of mine uh, would talk about Skyrim so much that yeah. I thought, "Okay, I need to get it." You know, and I think for similar reasons, uh, uh, for the similar things that appealed to me about the Red Lantern, you know, he would talk about his version of Skyrim was he'd turn the difficulty level all the way down and then just wander around the countryside just to look at the landscapes. Like he wouldn't get in, go on any quests or have any kind of fights or anything. He'd just go and look at the beautiful (laughs) scenery. And I thought I could get into that. Yes. Um, so that that's how how it kind of started for me, and uh, so I have a I have a PlayStation and a Switch, and uh, nice. um, I'm still very much um, I would say a novice compared to most gamers, but but I do really um, I do really enjoy the medium, and yeah. and the games that I've played for sure influenced the music that I was making. Oh, like what? Well, one of my favorite games. Um, Maybe my 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 favorite game so far that I've played in in the last several years is um, Gree. Oh uh, yes, G R I S. Yep, that's a beautiful yeah. game. Oh, just incredibly beautiful. Yep. and the music is equally beautiful. I think. I mean, it's just yes. the story, the visuals, the mm-hmm. music uh, are all incredible. Yeah, and, level um, design. And, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so 
I think part of the reason why I was so excited to do the Red Lantern was uh, getting the chance to do something that had affected me the way that that game had. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. The Talk to me a little bit about how the music functions in the Red Lantern, because, you know, sometimes in games it's very reactive to certain events and, and such, and sometimes it's literally just there to kind of take you on a journey. So so talk to me a little bit about how it was framed to you, how your music would work in the in the game. Yeah. I mean, there are, we had this great spreadsheet of uh, of sort of Encounters. It was a new way of working for me because I, I, you know, I either wrote songs or I wrote music to picture. Where I was like, "This happens here. This yeah. cuts here," and you know, um, there's very specific timing. But um, it was a new idea for me to try and write um, and not know what the user was going to do, what the player was going to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Lindsay and the team made a spreadsheet. The Timberline Studio folks made a spreadsheet with every single cue. Um, that we were going to need and where it was going to be in the game, what the feeling was, and sort of what the player would do that would trigger it. Um, Whether it was, okay, you decided to camp, or okay, you are having this encounter, uh, or hey, their um, health is very low, or their supplies are really low. You know, there's there are sort of there are survival cues when things get really dire. and then there were some that were just like, here's, you know, just vibe. Just, you know, we're cruising on the snow and you just want to be in that vibe. And so I I was making these very long loops, you know, two minute long loops that could just play and play and play. And mm-hmm. you could just feel like they were hypnotic and you could just kind of turn left and right and mush and take in the scenery Um until something happened and an encounter happened and then you you know then it would feel like it was your choice to change the mood said earlier about um you know just wanting to write christmas music without the christmas right i mean to completely oversimplify what you said yeah um no that's that's perfectly accurate okay good were you (laughs) thrilled then when you actually got to write a holiday track i mean is that like your dream come true when you're like okay now i get the sleigh bells out you're like yeah exactly yeah Yeah. so so talk to me about writing that one (laughs) Yeah, I just leaned, I just, you know, I felt like I had had uh, the Christmas settings, you know, at Simmer um, yeah. <laughs> everywhere else. You know, there there's like, a, yeah. there are a little bit of like reverby tambourines that come in uh, <laughs> here and there, you know, like one hit every four bars or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then when they decided to do this Christmas uh, version of the game, this expanded version of the game, and they said we want to do a new track for it. I thought, <laughs> okay, I'm going to turn these from simmer to full boil. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, I got my friends, um, Jenny Owen Youngs and Jess Abbott, who are who are married to each other and both great singers. Yeah, um, I got them to sing uh, some Christmas carol ooze. You know, I, I wrote the <laughs> melodies. 
uh, and I sent it to them. They live in Maine, and uh, and so they're very familiar with um, with the feeling of the weather that they were supposed yes. to evoke. was my chance to uh you know one of my favorite soundtracks of all time is um danny elfman's score for edward scissorhands which is also a sort of christmas movie uh soundtrack without being a christmas movie um and uh that or at least being you know kind of a whatever goth fairy tale at the same time i just i love it so much Mm -hmm. and um and i love the kind of angelic oohs that that happened um, way outside of my singing range. So I thought, <laughs> okay, um, I kind of wanted to feel, you know, when it when it does come time uh, for Christmas, the music that I put on usually is like the Vienna Boys Choir doing uh, for sure doing Christmas carols. Yes, um, um, because it just feels somehow extra German for it to be. Uh, a bunch of little kids singing in German. Uh, sorry, it feels Austrian. extra Christmassy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it feels extra Christmassy <laughs> to have a bunch of of children singing in German in Austria. You know, that's yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah, this is uh, forget about actual history. To me, that's where Christmas is born. Yes, <laughs> in the <laughs> mountains of Austria, and. Um, yeah, yeah, it just feels incredibly timeless, mm-hmm. and so I wanted to try and do my version of that. Um, and uh, and these two women have beautiful voices and in sort of two different ranges. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had them record it, um, you know, in quad quadruplicate. So I had basically their eight voices as my version of a of a little choir. Love it. Yeah, it's it's a really great track. Um, we may come back to the Red Lantern, but I, I want to uh, officially, again, step step away from it for a, a bit because, you know, you are a communicator, I think, you know, with all of your podcast endeavors. It's like you have things you want to share with people, whether it's your love for the West Wing, which, yes, fabulous show. <laughs> oh, my God. I just, I owned it on DVD, you know, back in the day. Like one of the few, it was like that and Buffy and... <laughs> about it. But I mean, it's just fantastic show. Um, but other podcasts as well, of course, Song Exploder is a big deal. I mean, it's a really popular podcast and Netflix show too. And um, uh, what was your first podcast? It was Song Exploder. Was it? Okay. Wow. Yeah. And you'd never done a podcast before? Yeah, okay. I had not okay. interviewed yeah. anyone before. I oh, had no wow. kind okay. of uh, journalism experience or anything like okay. that. I was really um, just making something that was kind of my version of um, making people mixtapes in the '90s. You know, I, I thought, well, I, you know, there's a certain level of um, pushiness that comes along with being like, <laughs> hey, "Hey, listen to this. I think you should listen to this." <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean. Song Exploder, basically, for those who aren't familiar with it, you're you're peeling all the layers back and helping people understand the, the construction of the process. And again, this comes back to the TED Talk, right? Because you kind of do it 
in the TED Talk with one of your own songs, which is really cool. So, you know, if people want to dive in just a little, just it's a 15-minute TED Talk. Watch that, and you'll know exactly <laughs> what Song Exploder is, and you'll get a really good explanation of it, too. You'll witness what you do where you're, you're explaining how the song came to be, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. very cool. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I... I um. For, yeah, for the show, I ask an artist to, you know, tell me essentially what their intentions were, kind of what you're doing with me, uh, and and then I intercut it with the isolated stems from the the different tracks of yeah. the recording. So when they say, "Hey, I did this," or "I sang this," so you hear just their acapella vocal, or you'll yeah. hear just you know one instrument at a time, um, and uh, it's been it's been a really fun extension of my life as, as a musician and um yeah a way for me to be able to say hey i think you'll like these songs but also did you pay attention to this part of the song without me having to be the one who says it you know i'm not sort of coming in as a as a critic or an analyst saying or like a music theorist being like ah this chord change is important because um i don't really have that authority <laughs> you know i i yeah. i I rely on the artist basically saying, this is what I wanted to do. This was the feeling that I was trying to get. And then and then letting their music speak uh, the rest of, you know, communicate the rest of that. Yeah, it's it's really fun. I mean, how do you ever, I mean, I'm sure you have artists that are like, no, I don't want to give you my stems. Do you? I mean, because that's, yes. that's the coolest part, right? Is that you're getting the pieces of the song. That's yeah. really crucial. So, for me, it, it's it was one of the main reasons for making the show was because people don't usually get to hear those. Right. And to just have the opportunity to not just listen to them myself, but share them with people and share them in a context where you're not just listening to stuff and wondering how it fits together or why it's there, but, you know, mm -hmm. getting to hear the story that knits all those pieces together. Um, yeah, that was really, really exciting. I don't know how much uh, people... I think for musicians, you know, when they hear that stuff, they get really, really excited. Yeah. I think for non-musicians, when they hear the show, it's helpful because it, it it's sort of, there's a show and tell uh, aspect to it. Mm -hmm. um, but I appreciate I appreciate that it, it works for both types of audiences in, yes. in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, so just for a moment, the West Wing podcast. <laughs> um, I'm a nerd about pilots like they're you know I think it's really amazing when the pilot is like bam just great yeah <laughs> and the West Wing is one of those where the pilot is probably one of my favorite episodes which how many shows do you actually say that about you know right right um, yeah there's so many shows shows that I love some of my favorite shows where I tell other people just start at season two no exactly yes <laughs> yes so many even like Star Trek or Buffy is another one Buffy, that's kind of yeah, like that. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I mean, I still love season one, but I wouldn't ever wish that on anyone if they're not familiar with it, right? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I mean, just did you watch it when it was on TV? How did you get into the West Wing back in the day? Yeah, I started watching it um, when it had been on the air for a couple of seasons. I didn't start from okay. the very beginning. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, yeah. It was maybe 2002 or so when I started watching it. Um, and I was uh, turned onto it by my sister, who you know has introduced me to so many 
important things in my life. Okay. She had originally told me about sports night. Um, she showed me oh. sports night uh, one summer when I was in college and um, and we watched it and really enjoyed it. And then, you know, a few years later, she was like, oh, do you remember that show sports night? Said, yeah. She said, well, that same writer is doing a show about the White House. And I thought, well, that, that sounds like I would really like it. And, uh, and yeah. I started watching it and yeah. And, you know, for a while it was um, something I would, tune into but then when they started putting out the dvds then um then i was kind of like well forget i i can't regularly make the appointment to watch the show but yeah that was my introduction to binge watching <laughs> it would yeah i might agree with that in some way right around that time too but yeah yeah uh god it's such a great show and then how did you get connected because the west wing weekly which is the name of the podcast um how did you get connected with Joshua Molina, who was an actor in the West Wing? How did that happen? Well, it actually goes back to me wanting to be a film composer. Um, okay. I was living in Massachusetts uh, at my parents' house after college and trying to figure out what I was going to do and how I was going to make some of my dreams you know, realized. And... Um, the thing I was thinking about was scoring film and, and I knew I couldn't do it from there in Massachusetts. I felt like I had to go somewhere and um, get out of the, the suburbs and certainly get out of my parents' house. Um, <laughs> and I thought, well, most of my friends from school were living in New York and I knew that there was um, filmmaking. You know, a lot of the indie films that I loved, they, they were all made in New York and made by you know, New York production companies. Mm. But I really didn't know anything about the entertainment industry. I'd never met anybody who'd been in the entertainment industry and certainly yeah. no, nobody in my family knew anybody. But one thing I remember when I was telling someone in college uh, that I had been watching Sports Night and I was really enjoying it, um, I went to Yale and the one and my friend who I was talking to said, oh, you know that actor, Josh Molina, who's in this show? He went to Yale too. And I said, oh, it was just a little bit of trivia, you know, yep. that, um, and he played my favorite character on Sports Night. So okay. it kind of stuck with me. I was like, oh, that's neat. Yeah. Um, and then this, uh, you know, one night in, um, in my house, I was thinking about wanting to move and, and I wasn't sure if I was going to move to New York or if I should really try to move to LA, as scary and unknown and distant as that felt from from Massachusetts. Yeah. And somehow it got in my head. I I looked up Josh Molina. I was going to say I Googled him, but I didn't because Google didn't even exist yet. Um, but I, <laughs> you know, searched for him and I came across his webpage, which was just like, you know, some kind of like Earthlink website, you know, it had his headshot. <laughs> it was one page that had his headshot and his bio, but it yeah. also had an email address for him. Oh, wow. And I wrote to him and I said, hello, you don't know me, <laughs> but, uh, um, but I'm a recent graduate. You know, we're, we're uh, alums of the same school and I was wondering if you might be able to give me some advice. I'm a big fan of yours and I'm trying to figure out what I should do if I want to be a film composer. Wow. My, um, my heart says maybe I should move to LA, but my head says it would certainly be a lot easier and safer to move to New York. What do you think? <laughs> do you have any advice for me? And I just, you know, sent it off, yeah. not knowing if I'd ever hear back. And I did hear back. Wow. Um, he wrote back to me and he said, uh, you know, he said, I don't know. I'm, a, I'm not a composer, but I do play cards with a couple of composers. <laughs> and my feeling is if you want to be 
in the world of film, you really got to be in LA. Mm. Um, and I said, okay, I got it. And then, uh, and then I moved to New York anyway. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I just didn't have the wherewithal or the current, yeah. I, whatever. I, I just couldn't, couldn't figure out how to get to LA at that yeah. time. I moved to New York. Um, I had some friends who were moving there and some who had just moved there already. And I tried living there for about a year and it didn't work out. It wasn't, it wasn't for me. Interesting. And, I, and I moved to LA eventually. Yeah. But by the time I got to LA, I tried to get in touch with him again and that email address didn't work anymore. Oh. But then we, um, we reconnected maybe a decade later uh, because of Twitter. I was on Twitter after okay. the first feature film that I scored, a movie called Save the Date, had premiered at uh, the Sundance Film Festival. Okay. Oh, wow. And I was looking at uh, Twitter at like people talking about the film festival and different actors and directors and stuff. And one of them, one of the people who had been in a movie that I had seen was in a Twitter conversation with Josh Molina. And I saw that and I thought, oh my gosh, there's Josh Molina. I, you know, I haven't thought about him in a second, but gosh, I still am such a fan. And I, um, clicked and I and there was a link to his Facebook page and I wrote to him on Facebook and I said I don't know if you remember me we had you know correspondence a decade ago wow. but you told me to move to LA it took me a while to follow your advice but I did um, <laughs> in order to be a composer and um, I just scored my first feature it just played at Sundance wow um, I'd love to say thanks I'd love to you know can I take you out to lunch and say thanks um, for the advice uh, you know many 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 years later. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he said yes, and we did, and then we've basically become, uh, we've been very very close friends mm-hmm. ever since. He's he's one of my best friends, and um, and yeah, we met we met in person in 2012, so that was 11 years ago. Oh wow! And then at some point decided to do the podcast. Yeah, uh, I yeah. had been making Song Exploder for a little while, and um, and Josh and I actually made we pitched and sold a uh tv show together um and then that tv show ended up being in some you know kind of development limbo hell (laughs) for a long time (laughs) the entire time that i was making the first year and a half of making song exploder and uh and after that year and a half and we still didn't know what was going to happen with the tv show i said to josh you know making a podcast has been really fun for me and Mm -hmm. i can determine my own fate here. I don't have to worry about the gatekeepers of a right. you know, a network or a studio or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what if we started a podcast together? Um, we could talk about The West Wing. It was sort of my way of being able to ask him about this show that I loved uh, mm-hmm. without... It, I, had been, I had expressed a lot of restraint <laughs> um, <laughs> in, uh, in the years that we'd been friends. I had not bothered him about it. If I professionalize my curiosity, then I could ask him all my questions and uh, and and have a legitimate sort of shroud of cover. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so he said yes, and we we started doing it in 2016. Wow! Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, oh, just what a great serendipitous thing for you to have done. I I'm, I appreciate it. I'm gonna. I mean, I started listening to the very you know the very first episode that you did so many years ago and just hearing him talk about how like you know he hadn't even he'd experienced a lot of those episodes just once and you know that that's like oh cool well now I want to hear his take on watching him again even though he wasn't even in those early seasons but I I just yeah it's just a, a wonderful thing yeah yeah 
Yeah, and it was a really lovely way for me to be able to continue to, um, even though we were talking about the West Wing, I got to tie my music, um, my you know my life as a musician into even that podcast because um, it was it was ours and we got to do with it you know what we wanted, mm-hmm. and so you know I wrote um, I wrote a I got to write a song I wrote a song I wrote the music for a song and Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote the vocals and uh, um, did the uh, wrote the lyrics and, and performed the vocals for a song about the West Wing <laughs> the West you know it's just like ridiculous <laughs> stuff um, but it was really fun to the Red Lantern, um, although I do, I do want to mention, even though I didn't write anything specifically down about it, that your other podcast that you did during lockdown about home cooking, which, yes, brilliant. <laughs> um, so do you want to just briefly mention that? Because, I mean, you have so many, I want to make sure that you get to say what you want to say about all of your endeavors. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean that, so yeah, Home Cooking was a show that I made um, with my friend Samin Nasrat, who is, um, you know, an, an incredible chef. She's a, yeah. um, she's a James Beard winning New York Times bestselling author of the cookbook Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Mm-hmm. Love um, her. And oh. she's incredible. And when, the two of us were um, talking about the kind of what to do in the pandemic. Basically, she had posted something on her Instagram responding to somebody about um, what they might be able to do with, you know, the, the, these beans that they had bought at the grocery store. Um, <laughs> you know, far too many beans because it was the only thing they had left. Oh, um, wow. I thought that, that that could be a show. Um, mm-hmm. And and that I could sort of produce something around her expertise and our friendship, um, where we provided some real advice for for people who were maybe cooking for themselves in a new way or maybe for the first time in their lives, mm-hmm. and also provide some feeling of companionship at a time where a lot of people were feeling very lonely and isolated. So yes, the Red Lantern uh, vinyl. It's coming out on vinyl. Yeah, it's really exciting. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting. Tell me how that all came about. Well, actually, when you know when I was first making the music, when we were first talking about the the score, Lindsay from Timberline had mentioned um, um, that she had had some conversations with the record label I am 8-bit mm-hmm. you know who have put out so many great video game releases yeah um it was always kind of a part of the daydream was that maybe we would do some kind of physical 
release for you know the game was going to be released um, digitally yeah. uh, on on Steam or on through Epic. You know the, the, that was always going to be the plan was it was going to be mm-hmm. um, digitally distributed and same you know with the with the soundtrack if that was going to be the case you know I'd put it up on Bandcamp and things like that. Yeah. Um, but there was always this daydream of well maybe and then we'll do a physical version of the game and maybe we'll do a physical version of the soundtrack as well and she said you know i i i've talked to the folks at i am 8-bit and um and they're excited about what we're doing and then when the game came out people were very excited it you know it took much longer for us to finish than we had expected so the kind (laughs) of the the timeline was shifting and we didn't really know when you know when we could even have that conversation and then suddenly it was like Oh, the game is going to come out. They got you know a deal with Nintendo um, to to release the game as uh, a sort of exclusive for for Switch, um, and then then suddenly we had very little time to finish everything, and then it was go 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 and uh, finish every single you know I had these like twenty five cues and and they all had to be uh, um, finalized. So it was only after all of that was done that we. Um, that we and the game came out mm-hmm. that we kind of picked that conversation up again and said, Hey, maybe this could come out. And Lizzie said, Let me see if they're interested. And and she wrote to the folks at IM8 Bit and they said, Yeah, we we love the music and we love the game and we'd love to do it. Is it out now? Is it coming out? What's the plan then? Uh, so it's available for pre-order now, okay. and it's going to come out. Um, it's going to come out later this year in the summer. Oh, beautiful! Okay, wonderful, great. Yeah. Um, Rishi, is there anything else you'd like to say about the Red Lantern or anything that I neglected to ask? No, I mean, you know, one thing I th- I would say that was really nice about the experience, especially for me, and, and given like the other music that I make. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really nice that they came to me because of my songs. Yeah. Because it really felt like they they wanted me for me. You know, a lot of times there are composing gigs where you have to kind of um, be a chameleon. And there are some composers who are really great at that, who mm-hmm. can kind of do anything. And I'm just not one of those people. I kind of have uh, my point of view and my way of making things. And it's... Um, you know, it's. I'd like to think it's not one note, but it's not a lot of notes. It's kind of like this is <laughs> this is what I do, and this is what I like to do, and and they felt like that was right for their game. And then the experience of making the music for the game, the feeling of it, and the things that I got to dive a little deeper into in terms of getting that you know my secular Christmas music yes. out. Um, yes introduced me to some new tools and some new sounds mm. and then those have ended up figuring into my the songs that I've written okay um and so so the stuff that I've released since then and I have a, I have a song 
by, by the time this comes out, I'll have a song that just came out. Oh, wonderful. Um, a, a song called Cascade. And I used a bunch of the sounds that I used in the Red Lantern in the production of that. All the things that happened haven't happened yet. But suddenly she feels them like a memory. Her daughter's daughter's daughter sleeping in her bed in front of me right here. So will that be under your name or? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Do you do the 1am radio anymore? No, I kind of, um, okay. I took this very long break from making songs um, between 2011 and 2021. Oh, wow. And yeah. And, uh, and I sort of felt like when I came back to making music that um, I was starting a new chapter and, mm. um, and it would be nice to kind of signify that by going under my own name instead of going under the 1AM radio, that it was sort of um, a continuation. I mean, mm-hmm. really... Music kind of all sounds the same, I think, but <laughs> but I felt like I was in a different place, yeah. and I wanted to to mark that formally in some mm-hmm. way. Well, it's true. If uh, you, the listener, if you like the music for the Red Lantern, you will definitely like Rishi's music. It's wonderful, and also bonus, you, Rishi, have a beautiful just warm hug of a voice you know you have all those like if if i were to see it on a visualizer it would just be like the warmest colors of all which is is really lovely to hear (laughs) thank you so much of course yeah um so yes red lantern you can buy it on Bandcamp. you'll be able to get a vinyl this summer Um, of course it's in all the streaming places um and then your older things the 1am radio your newer things, your hip-hop, which we didn't even talk about, The Moors. We didn't even talk about that at all, but that's a whole other project that's really intriguing and fun to listen to. Um, So, yeah, just thank you for being such a robust musician. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. Thanks Thanks for talking to me about all these different projects. Thank you for listening to this episode of Level with Emily. You can learn more about Rishikesh Hirway, see a playlist which has timestamps, and support Level with Emily at patreon.com slash level. Check out the video of our chat on the Level with Emily YouTube channel and subscribe, get notifications, all those things so you don't miss any of our new videos. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. What the... You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services. Composer Brad Gentle manages our YouTube channel. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media Inc. Here at Level with Emily, we're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. It features a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. You can hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.